Welcome back to another episode of Open Dialogue, the podcast for collaborative SEOs and digital marketers. In this episode, I spoke with Chris Sanfilippo. He's an SEO consultant for pharmaceutical and cybersecurity companies. Over the course of our conversation, we spoke about the pros and cons of working in-house, agency side and freelancing, treating SEO as a culture, as well as some tips on cross-department development. But let's not waste any time. Let's dive straight into this conversation. Here's another episode of Open Dialogue with Chris Sanfilippo. Hi, Chris. Welcome to Open Dialogue. How are you? Hey, Sam. I'm great. How are you? Yeah, brilliant. Thank you for joining us today. Um, it's really good to to have you um, on this on this podcast. Um, it took a while to hunt you down. I'm I'm not going to lie. Um, you've got a, a very busy schedule. Um, you said you you went to Burning Man. Is it? Oh yeah, yep, absolutely. Yeah, I just got back. Uh, it was a great experience. Um, one that I would definitely recommend everyone try at least once. <laughs> so is that right that it's in a desert? Because like it's something that I kind of peripherally know about. Yeah. And there's the does it culminate with the burning of a, a wooden man? <laughs> yeah, <pretty laughs> I, I have no idea about this. I'm so yeah, out of touch. It's like um, the way I would describe it is it's a, it's in the Black Rock Desert, uh, Nevada, and it's basically an off the grid camping trip slash art and music um, kind of experience. So um, yeah, it's just um, pretty much off the grid camping. You're bring your own food and water. Mm-hmm. And uh, just kind of riding around on a bike in the middle of the desert, looking at art exhibits and, you know, listening to music. Cool. So it was a good time. A lot of uh, quality time with friends. Nice. I was actually Googling it. And um, on the wiki page, it says, at Burning, at Burning Man, the community explores various forms of artistic self-expression. Um, yeah. is, is that something that it's fair to say that you engaged in? What, what kind of self-expression have, have we got yeah. going on at Burning Man? So, yeah, um, I think there's a lot of artists there and engineers building, you know, it's a it's a temporary city as well. So it's a giant engineering project. Um, So it attracts a lot of, you know, engineers and architects and artists. Um, I I didn't participate in building any art or anything like that, but I did express myself in my clothing and my costumes and all that. So that was more, you know, just my personal style and outfit is how I express myself. Brilliant. Cool. But it's funny how when you come back from a trip like that, you always, when you go back to work, you're you just like have all these fresh ideas and a fresh perspective. So, um, you know, usually when I come back from a trip like that, I just have a ton of ideas and I hit hit Monday pretty hard with um, you know, <laughs> coming up with new tickets, new projects, things like that. Yeah, I think the the closest thing we've got to that over here in the UK is Glastonbury, and people just come back from that with uh, the worst hangover worst hangovers ever so um yeah. <laughs> that it sounds like a, a real experience burning man i'm gonna have to try it at some point Shit, <laughs> um yeah i'd like to start off this podcast by looking a bit at your background and how you got into seo um i was doing a bit of research on you basically looking at your linkedin profile and saw that you had a military background um yeah. So I was wondering if you could share a bit about that. Be keen to know whether you've been in any combat situations. Have yeah. you ever fired your gun up in the air and said, ah? Yeah, no, I have not. <laughs> oh, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I got into SEO around 2012, 2013, and I kind of got into it by accident. Um, this was, you know, when I was in college, 
Um, I was also in the military at the same time. Um, I was in the reserve, so it was just a weekend thing. Um, so I was able, you know, I had to have a full-time job and all that, um, and, you know, college. So I, I was kind of doing juggling college, um, military and SEO. Um, and how I kind of stumbled into SEO was just trying to, you know, earn some extra money during my college days. And what I was doing was buying, uh, broken phones and iPhones on Craigslist and, and reselling them. And so nice. I started doing that for, for a little while and, um, had a little bit of success with it. So I figured, you know, maybe I'll make a website and then I learned about SEO. That's how you get traffic to the website. And, um, and then after trying to learn about SEO, I stumbled upon a job ad for SEO. And this was a, um, this is down in Florida and it was, um, actually a pretty good, um, first job for SEO because they're using all the enterprise tools. Um, they're using Omniture and um, Conductor and Bright Edge. So um, they kind of took me in and um, taught me, you know, formal SEO. Um, and that's kind of how I got into, um, you know, the whole world of SEO. If they didn't give me that job, I, you know, probably probably wouldn't have gone on that road. So very grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so from there, you know, so I was at in-house SEO at first. Um, and then from there, uh, you know, was on the agency side for about three years. And then I went back uh, in-house when I came out here, uh, San Francisco, the Bay Area, and I was working at cybersecurity um, startup there. Um, and then from there, you know, kind of got into the pharma space. Um, so the last um, three and a half years or so, I've been pretty much working mostly in the cybersecurity space and the pharma space. Um, and I've worked with, you know, um, two publicly traded companies in both of those verticals and also startups. Um, so um, going from the East coast to the Bay area, you get access to a lot bigger projects and, um, you get to work in the enterprise side, you get to work at scale, uh, you get to work on, you know, large portfolios, websites and, uh, high growth startups, kind of a really exciting things and really exciting place to be. Mm-hmm. That sounds like an amazing set of experiences. And there's like, there are so many different avenues of questioning that I kind of want to go down here. But um, the first one that I want to ask is, is it fair to say that you prefer the in-house side of things? Did What 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 are your experiences of agency versus in-house? Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is something I've thought about, you know, throughout my career. Um, there's really three kind of primary ways that um, you can make a good living doing SEO. And that's, you know, agency side, um, in-house side, and then consulting. I've done all of them and I've kind of gone back and forth. And um, in between, you know, my last in-house job and my current consulting positions, I, I did um, do the whole like quit your job and move to Thailand thing and live completely off of freelancing, mm-hmm. which was really um, liberating because, I, you know, you feel free, you can kind of do whatever you want, but it was also very hard to maintain the clientele and, um, you know, making enough freelance earnings, um, you know, after all your costs and all that to live the way that you want to live. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, um, I'm, you know, as far as a pure SEO standpoint and doing good SEO and building, um, useful, you know, websites and products, um, the in-house role is a lot better for me is a better fit for me because I feel like I can go much deeper on that project. I know I can work on it for many years and that I can do, I can implement short-term and long-term thinking and planning um, and try to, you know, build something really big for the future with the agency side. It's always tough because, you know, um, you have multiple clients usually that you're working with and you don't always get to invest the long-term kind of thinking and planning strategy um, that you would because 
you really need to make sure that you keep the um, campaign, um, you know, growing early to retain that client. Um, the in-house side is just fun for me because you get to work with so many other teams um, and you get to like learn from other smart people. So you'll work with, you know, product design, engineering, um, you know, data team. And these people have very deep, you know, subject matter expertise and can bring a lot of value to, um, to your program. Whereas with, on the agency side, it's kind of like you're always um, strapped for resources and um, you're always the expectation and um, demand for results is, you know, more present and immediate. And um, the, the in-house role is, you know, kind of my my um, it, it's almost like as a consultant, you can be an in-house, you can hold the in-house role. Um, so that's kind of the role that I like because it allows you to stay in there and um, build things in the long term. Mm hmm. Do you think that it's... Oh, sorry. I'm getting some feedback here. I'm going to again. Okay. Remember your Yep. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> I was going to ask. So was it important for you to go through all of these different types of environments where you're working on different SEO projects, do you think? Or um, do you wish that you'd kind of just settled on in-house in a large enterprise organization from the off? That's a good question. Um, I, I think it was good to experience all of those different um, types of environments. And uh, and the reason is because, you know, they, they say, like, the grass is always greener on the other side. And um, it's true, like, you might be able to make more money on one side. Um, you might be able to have more freedom over here. Um, but it's all about, you know, what's important to you and what, you know, what you value. Um, and... I think uh, going from, you know, there's just so many ways and relationship structures that you can be doing SEO. You can be a freelancer working for agency or consultant. You know, you can be a consultant that is holding an in-house role and you're also managing an agency that you're delegating all your work to. So you can do it from so many um, different angles and um, being on all sides of that, um, you know, relationship helps you to, you know, understand how you can use your resources the best and put together you know, assemble a team with processes and delegate and do SEO at scale. Um, so I think for me, um, as my capabilities of an SEO and, you know, creating those scaled processes and then also for my own happiness as an SEO professional to make sure that I'm happy doing what I'm doing, um, which is really important, um, you know, knowing um, what the pros and cons are of each of those um, types of environments are, that was really important. And now I know exactly what I need and what will work for me and what won't. And um, that makes it so much easier to go in every day and, you know, do a good job and, you know, be present minded and, um, you know, and push um, your projects forward because you have that happiness and you're comfortable and you know that you're um, doing something for the long term or whatever it is that, you know, works for you. Mm -hmm. That sounds really cool. Um, yeah. um, in terms of what you're doing now um working for a pharma organization is it um could you talk us a bit about what your day-to-day -day is like there and the the types of teams that you work with that like you briefly touched on it there working with like product team des design etc yeah. um but could you speak a bit maybe about the the projects that you're working on and the different teams that you interact with yeah absolutely so um you know as a consultant i'm working on two um, projects, one in the pharma space and one in cybersecurity space. With the pharma um, project, it's a lot different than a lot of other industries. Um, uh, you know, when it comes to um, 
SEO and the importance of SEO within the company you're working for. Um, you know, some companies care more about SEO than others. And um, some companies will prioritize SEO work and, and change requests um, greater than others. So uh, when it comes to the pharma space, um, there, there isn't a whole lot of um, urgency for SEO results. And there isn't um, necessarily a correlation of SEO performance with business performance. So SEO is um, not as prioritized within the organization. And that means that you are your job and your role is to best align SEO um, to um, you know to the the ongoing website changes and um, and that means really like you don't have the ability to prioritize everything that you want to do if you're working at a startup um, and SEO is an important channel they'll pretty sometimes they'll pretty much tell you here's your developer he's going to prioritize all your work um, but in pharma it's not really that case so um, how it works in pharma is usually there's um, a lot of organizations, pharma companies that have portfolios of websites. So you might be managing 20 to 40 websites and um, those websites are constantly getting updated um, to align with, you know, FDA regulations and things like that. And they're um, basically just relaunching the website, rewriting some content. And those are your opportunities to sneak SEO in there. So the teams that you work with for that will be creative agencies, brand teams, um, developers, you might work with data or analytics, and then you work with QA. But for the most part, you're working with the brand team and the creative team. Mm-hmm. So the brand team um, kind of owns the website. They own um, you know, the strategy for the website. Creative team is the people that you know design the website and write the content. And so working with those two is kind of your um, opportunity to align SEO. And then on the back end, you're working with developers and data and QA to um, you know, implement technical SEO and uh, measure success and QA the websites in different development environments. Mm-hmm. Um, when you were thinking about um, coming on board uh, with this client, were you did you kind of see it as a, a challenge to to get SEO more prioritized within the organization? Um, what what was the the thinking there? Yeah. So um, so when I started it, you know. When I started working in the pharma space in general, I wasn't um, uh, expecting the uh, amount of limitations that you'd have there. Um, uh, you know, like when you when you um, come into a new project, you always do an audit and you look at the opportunity. And um, you know, you might have an enormous amount of traffic that you see that is in striking distance that you can drive, and a, a bunch of technical issues. And then you might, um, you know, and then you present that. And, um, you know, it's a little bit surprising to see that um, SEO is important and they want to pursue some of that in most pharma companies, but um, they're not necessarily going to go out of their way to, um, you know, implement those changes. They might, you might just have to wait until the next website update to try to align those changes to that. And um, the reason for that is because the the number of steps that are involved with making a website change on um, a pharma company's website a drug website is enormous and there's a huge number of sign offs and le- uh, legal department needs to sign off. So there's, um, you know, you know, an enormous amount of steps it might be to, to publish uh, one new page on a farm website. It might be over a hundred steps and there might be 20 to 30 change of hands. And that could take, you know, three to six months to do that. So, um, so really the name of the game with pharma SEO is, 
trying to um, come up with your strategy in advance and then understand all the opportunities and um, be um, all over the process for website changes and know exactly when and where you can work those changes in. Mm -hmm. And are most of the changes that you're recommending, are they on a site-by-site basis or are the things you're recommending, are they things that can probably benefit a, a chunk of these portfolio of websites that the company owns? Yeah, so um, it's both. So there's a, you know, uh, one of the portfolios that I manage is over 40 websites. And um, so there's uh, some changes that you can make that are global. Um, these are usually technical SEO changes, under the hood changes. Um, these are things like, uh, you know, image, um, image compression, um, technical SEO changes like internal linking, sitemaps, um, things like that. And then for, you know, for the brand specific stuff, that's usually content, that's your content changes. So, um, it's a combination of both and really, um, the technical SEO opportunities are probably, um, the only thing that you can really scale. And that's if the, you know, all the websites are on the same platform, which in my case, you know, uh, is the case. So, mm-hmm. um, that must doing be the image. Help. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, there's no shortage of people that want to, um, you know, improve the websites, but um, the pharma space operates much differently. And um, for that reason, you have to, you know, your rate of success is going for SEO is going to be dependent on the rate of, um, you know, shipping these websites and these website updates. Mm-hmm. And so who is it that's most that you're most likely to, I, I guess, not come into conflict with, but who who is it that you're having to try and win over and um, uh, be able to to sneak in various SEO recommendations, yeah. maybe yeah, particularly so, on the technical side? Right. So um, the organization kind of itself collectively owns the timeline and like you know the uh, the the website updates and when and where uh, any website updates take place. But then within those website updates. It's mostly um, the creative agencies and the brand teams that need to be need to sign off. So the brand team kind of recommends, and then the creative agency usually signs off and you know approves. Um, but even then, like you can have the le- through the legal process, um, legal review, you can have a lot of that um, those recommendations stripped out, and um, you know there's really not a whole lot that you can do there. So um, the great thing though is that a lot of these websites have a lot of authority, and they have a, a huge amount of um, uh, domain authority and uh, high quality backlinks. And, um, it, that means that you actually can have a lot of success with slight, you know, one word adjustments, even, um, some of these brands, they have a ton of links and they, they rank, um, you know, they rank well in in search engines for high volume phrases. And, um, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot to, uh, improve, you know, that position. Um, so, so there is, there are are pros and cons for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. So you're leveraging that authority in in various ways, then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm, okay, that's really interesting. Are there any projects that um, you're particularly proud of having worked on, or any changes that you've um, implemented successfully that that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, um, one of the projects that uh, that I worked on recently was uh, image compression at scale um, across the entire portfolio. Um, and, um, that required, um, getting sign offs, um, at a high level for, um, for implementing these changes. 
And, um, you know, I think it's really important when you do a scaled process, if you're working on a portfolio, of, you know, 20 plus sites, um, then, you know, minimizing the number of steps in that process and the number of sign offs is really important. So, um, you know, two things that I think are important is to get a high, um, high level of buy in for that project. Um, and then to also get the resources, you know, committed resources. So um, for this project, I was able to get, you know, a dedicated developer for 40 hours a week to work exclusively on this. Um, so uh, creating those um, the resources um, and then a process, a scaled process. So, um, you know, compressing all images on all websites was the goal. And, um, you know, we used a New Relic browser to, you know, measure the page speed. Um, you know, for actual usage on mobile and desktop. So we have a benchmark of all the, um, you know, page speeds for mobile and desktop. And then for our scaled process, we basically um, download all the images, compress them at scale um, using an API, and then re-upload them. And it was really that simple. But um, for pharma industry, that's really not standard to be able to ship, you know, quick changes like that. Um, so just by just by deploying those compressed images, we're able to reduce the page speed on a lot of um, websites by like 50 percent. Um, so that made a huge difference on mobile, trying to get closer to that three second benchmark that Google recommends. Um, a lot of websites in the pharma space are, you know, close to 10 seconds. Um, and, you know, that was similar to some of the websites we we're working on. We we're able to get those a lot closer towards that three uh, three second mark. Mm -hmm. And in terms of how you're communicating this to um, the the people higher up, um, what what are the different ways that you're that you're speaking about these changes? Is it as simple as saying that we're going to compress images across all of the sites? We're going to have a super fast um, portfolio of sites, and that that's it? Or is there is there any more to it than that? Do you have to include like a revenue, um, like financial metrics against that? Yeah. Yeah, so it, it kind of started with getting like getting the buy-in for it. So, um, and you know, a lot of times when you go to request resources in a large company like this, like um, you need to make the business case for it. And in SEO, you always want to try to start with revenue if possible, and then work your way down to um, high lower priority KPI. So revenue would be at the top, and then you know, traffic, impressions, um, things like that, like visits, bounce rate, engagement. Um, you know, in this case, to get the buy-in for the resources, um, I had to, you know, put a deck together and um, present that to, you know, senior leadership and to show what the industry standards were for um, page speed, where our current sites were at, where our competitors were at, um, what it would take to improve, you know, get closer to that um, that landmark, and then get a level of effort from, you know, the developers on um, implementation. And, you know, came back with 40 hours a week for about three months. And, um, you know, so that so I had to put together kind of the business case for that. And once I got um, once I got those uh, leadership members to, you know, support that, then I had the ability to run this process at scale. I didn't have to get sign offs for each and every little step. We were able to ship um, page speed optimizations across every site. Um, and then afterwards, um, you know, every time we would finish up a site, we would give it a week and then we would report on, you know, the improvement. And we had a table that was, um, you know, having all the brands and the benchmark and the, you know, new new page speed. And it was actually getting um, people more excited as as they're, you know, the way that it works is people have brand assignments. So the other people um, were started to ask when their site would get optimized and updated. And they were curious about if we can do theirs next. And 
um, it got kind of everyone excited to be a part of those wins. Right. Um, so, so you were generating interest internally and getting people um, on board with it. That's, yeah, that's exactly. Because everyone who was involved with that, more people wanted to get involved with that because they wanted to be able to, you know, join in on that win and get credit for that and use that as an accomplishment. So, um, you know, we're sending out emails and every time uh, I would deploy the change for a website, I would thank all the people involved with that brand um, for, you know, helping us prioritize it. And so now everyone in our department is getting wins every week because, you know, the SEO team is, you know, making the websites faster. Mm -hmm. um, I'd just like to go back to the, the business case. Sorry if we're yeah. going like really granular here, but I think this is like the area that a lot yeah. of SEOs struggle with. So yeah. what, um, what kind of level of detail are, are you going yeah. um, into when you're talking about where um, your sites are, where the competitors' sites are? Is it are you just looking at like the the onload of the page? Are you going deeper than that and looking at things like first meaningful paint yeah. um, and different kind of speed metrics and performance timing metrics? Um, yeah. Or are you kind of keeping it more more top level? Yeah, definitely top level, um, you know, for our audience, they're not as technical. Um, so we're sticking with page speed index metric um, from from uh, Lighthouse. And then from New Relic, we're just looking at full page load um, for desktop and mobile. Um, we didn't want to get too technical with them because it would probably go over their heads. But um, so so for measuring the success and the impact, um, there's kind of two phases of that. So it's, you know, reporting on the before and after page speed is, you know, kind of the first part. Um, but, uh, recently, like we're, you know, recently completing this project. So, um, we're also looking at our mobile rankings. And, um, so particularly for our priority brands, looking at, um, you know, high volume keywords where we rank in, you know, um, pages one and two, looking at our mobile positions there and mobile click through rate and looking at the increased number of clicks from those phrases. Um, so we're also reporting on, you know, the amount of extra clicks or click increase from those, you know, particularly non-branded phrases. Um, and that, that is valuable because it shows that not only did we increase, um, the page, you know, improve the page speed, but we improved the bounce rate as well. And we're also driving traffic extra traffic from, you know, improved positions. Obviously there's other factors that layer into, you know, improved mobile rankings and traffic. But, um, you know, if you have, uh, if you have a, a, a website that's, on page one for a high volume keyword and that page has a very high bounce rate and you improving that page speed therefore improves the bounce rate and the rankings go up. Um, that is something that you can attribute to that work. Mm -hmm. And um, the way that we value that is to look at not only the click increase, but also the cost per click of that keyword. And that gives us the click value and we can total up the click value um, for all rankings that improve for mobile. And we can kind of put some numbers on, you know, because we don't have revenue um, for, for the pharma space typically. Mm -hmm. um, it gives you a different metric is traffic value. And I think that is a value that most SEOs don't, um, don't use that much, especially because with Google Analytics, you have, um, you know, you have your organic traffic data in there, but you don't necessarily have branded and non-branded split out. And you can split that in Google Search Console data, and then you can... Um, more accurately measure the impact of your SEO strategy by measuring the non-branded clicks, but also the click value. Mm -hmm. And if you can get that click value to a significant amount, um, that's really useful in, you know, getting more resources, um, for future projects and just showing, 
you know, another way of showing the impact that the SEO team is making. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I suppose once you, you've done something like this, it, it gets easier and easier, like you say, to, to get more more resource. Um, yeah. I'd be curious to, to know as well, like you mentioned other, other teams getting interested and um, hoping that um, different sites would be next to, to be um, mm-hmm. optimized in terms of speed, but are there, were there any teams in particular that um, also benefited from uh, these improvements? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the media team, um, the media team, and you know, paid marketing. Um, those teams are very interested in this as well. And um, you know, aligning with SEO and SEM uh, is is important. And how important really varies from uh, business to business and website to website. But um, one thing that you know is pretty consistent, um, you know, for SEM and SEO, no matter what industry you're in is um, if you're sharing landing pages, then you have a lot in common. You have you know, engagement and conversion metrics that are the same on that page. Um, you have um, keywords that are driving you know, um, to those pages. We also have some um, technical SEO metrics like page speed. Um, so um, one really interesting thing that happened was we optimized the images on a website and then we went back into New Relic and we looked at the page speed and the page speed actually got worse. And I was like, how did the page speed get worse um, after compressing those images? And um, we were looking at the domain as a whole for mobile. Mm-hmm. And what happened was, um, you know, the paid team started um, sending traffic to different places. And it happened to be that they were sending traffic to um, pages that had um, more images and that had a slower load time. So where the paid team sends traffic to determines your actual, you know, page speed performance and usage. So I looked at that page and uh, the reason why we didn't um, compress those images was because they're mostly PNGs and you don't get as much of a file saving size there. Um, So converted the PNG to JPEG and then um, the page speed improved. And then on the media side, they seen some gains there with um, AdWords quality scores and engagement as well. So um, you know, uh, moving forward, you know, sharing those dates that the image optimizations deployed, um, and, you know, really any, um, any SEO related events or changes should be logged and, uh, annotated, you know, Google analytics, and that will just help the media team to, you know, diagnose, uh, performance improvements. Mm-hmm. That, that sounds so interesting. Um, that's, that's such a, a great, use case of different teams coming together as that's brilliant yeah um i'd be interested now to shift gears and find out if you've got any disaster stories up your sleeve has there been a any experiences that you've had that have gone a bit pear-shaped not quite as smoothly as um this page speed optimization project yeah absolutely so um you know you're gonna see a lot of uh, kind of disaster cases with other departments, more in the startup kind of space uh, where things are a little bit less structured. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so one of the experiences that I had was with um, getting blocked for engineering resources. Um, so this was, you know, cybersecurity startup that I was working with. And, um, you know, when you have uh, an SEO strategy and, and you're working in a very technical company or a very large company, it's very rare that you're actually going to be implementing anything yourself. So you need to work with engineers, developers, designers, um, product team, you know, translation agency. Like there's um, a number of different people that you need to work with in order to get your strategy implemented. Um, so some of the things that are important with 
um, getting your work uh, implemented is to get you know high level of buy-in, um, and then to get um, you know to get resources dedicated, but also to get prioritization. Um, sometimes you might get you might have alignment with the department, but you don't have prioritization, um, and that's because that department head um, prioritizes the work. And if your um, project is not that important in their eyes, um, you may not get it prioritized. So um, you have to make the business case, and you have to have um, higher level buy-in in order to work around those situations. Um, so in this case, I was trying to build a product. I did build a product um, for you know that, for that company. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a online privacy checker. Uh, so this was a, they were in the online privacy space, and so we built um, you know we built a online privacy checker and got that to rank for phrases like "What is my IP address?" which drove traffic. Nice. And um, that was a success, but uh, when it came time to building, um, you know, some of these other product, these other products we wanted to build, uh, we just couldn't get the engineering resources approved. And that was because the engineering um, lead had projects he wanted the team to be working on. There was the product team that had requests. There was other security issues that they were working on, and SEO was not um, a high enough priority to um, get get that work prioritized above those other projects. Um, so in that case, you know, I had to, um, put together the business case, business opportunity for that, put a deck together. I had to go to the president and, um, you know, get him to, um, schedule time with the engineering lead. And I had to, you know, uh, pitch basically the president and the engineering lead on my project. And, um, you know, I thought I had a good business case for it, but, um, the other, the other projects that the engineering team were working on were just so critical that they w- wouldn't get, be able to get to that SEO project for six to 12 months. Um, mm-hmm. Especially if there's security issues with a cybersecurity company, they really kind of have to prioritize that. But, <laughs> yeah, um, sure. you know, so yeah, like um, not being able to get your, you know, high impact SEO tactics or strategies approved means that you got to cross that one off and you have to work on the next strategy. Mm-hmm. And you're not always going to be able to get your SEO strategy perfect and you're not going to be able to get everything prioritized. So it's not so much about here's everything we need to do and let's do it. It's more about what can we get approved, what we can get resources and what is high impact and making kind of a opportunity matrix and going after what's high impact, what's approved and what can be implemented quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, looking back on that time, is is it a case of you thinking maybe I, I shouldn't have worked with this this company or maybe I should have done things differently. I'm, I'm trying to think like how, if you have any advice about how you can avoid situations like that. Because um, yeah. I was listening to a talk by Alayda last week and she was talking about how you need to be really careful about the clients that you choose to, to work with and see whether there's um, like you were saying, a good alignment, but also whether um, you're likely to to hit any of these blockers in terms of not having enough resource and that sort of a thing. Um, so I was wondering, yeah, whether there's anything that you could recommend in in that area to avoid these situations. Yeah. I, I definitely think that when you start at a new company, you should um, try to have a good idea of your roadmap uh, and what that's going to entail. Um, and... and when you first, um, you know, engage on a project, consulting project, or move to a new in-house role, you want to understand what resources you have access to and 
you want to get um, you want to get permission to delegate at a high level. That means you want to get um, you know you want to get dedicated developer resources. You want you want to know who um, prioritizes and approves um, design work and dev work, and um, you want to you want to be clear to your um, whoever you directly report to about what you need in order to be impactful. And um, you want to you want to let them know that you're going to need resources to get this job done, and that means budget as well for tools and for whatever it may be, contractors, et cetera, and to let them know that performance will be hindered if we do not have the resources to get the job done. Um, so trying to be clear and upfront about and getting resources early on is really important. Um, and then also um, getting that high level of buy-in. It might, be, it might be one of the most important things that I can recommend because if you have someone like a president or maybe even a CEO in a smaller company in, in your corner, um, that is going to help you to just get things done and, um, you might not meet, need to make the business case. You might be able to just have that person sign off or be CC'd on an email. Um, and that might be enough to just get all of your work prioritized. Mm -hmm. So, you know, high level buy-in is so critical. Um, so, so what I'm getting from that is, so you can either kind of like stake your claim and say, this is what I need and this is what, um, is required for this to get done and be where we want to be or you can just brown know someone who's quite high up in the company is that exactly. right <laughs> yeah pretty much and you know that's pretty much um what i do every time i start a new role uh, or take on a new consulting project is i understand who the decision makers are who has the ability to approve and sign off on things and i try to get time on their calendar early and to just give them visibility into what i'm doing and then when i meet with them i let them know you know this is these are the things that I need to do, et cetera. It's not that you want to go over your direct manager's, you know, um, head and try to, you know, get a higher level buy than that. But you want to make sure that senior leadership has visibility into SEO and that they understand, you know, the opportunity and the um, items that need to be completed in order to get there, and that they can know the impact that it can make. And um, by always getting visibility, giving visibility. No one's gonna. No one's gonna stop you from, you know, trying to give visibility to people. So that means you can get on anyone's calendar, and you want to consistently try to get on the calendar of that senior leadership. And that way, when things are coming from down, from down, um, from above, um, that way people are less likely to try to block you or try to make you make the business case for it, or you know, not prioritize your work. Mm -hmm. That's such solid advice. Like that. That's really useful. Um, yeah. I would like to move on now and kind of start uh, start up a conversation that we left off. So um, for our listeners, we met, it was at SMX Advanced in Seattle. When was it? Back in, when was that? Oh, yeah. Was it April? Yeah, I think it was June. June, really? Oh, God. Yeah. Well, I'm so bad with dates, but yeah. Um, so we met at the pre-party at SMX Advanced and you were actually wearing a, a deep crawl badge for the majority of that evening and getting pestered by people who thought you were a deep crawl employee and asking you uh, questions about the platform. Yeah. And yeah, um, yeah. sorry again about that, but you, oh, you might not have gotten in otherwise. So. Right. <laughs> Um, but I think we were walking back from from there and you were telling me about your time working as a, a freelancer and uh, I think you were doing a bit of traveling as well um, yeah. 
And you had some really interesting kind of insights about that because although I really love working for Deep Crawl, there there's always like a, a bit of a I don't know, a fantasist part of me which thinks, oh, maybe I should just like drop everything and just like, I don't know, go do some freelance work and travel the world for for a bit. And speaking to you, um, it put me off that idea a bit. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'd really, really like for you to to share a bit yeah. about your experiences there. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great topic. Um, you know, my last full time in house job uh, was a, was really challenging, and um, I learned a lot. Um, but it kind of wore me out, and um, I was really looking for change. And um, so I think it was like April of last year, maybe the year before. Yeah. Uh, April of um, last year, uh, basically, I you know I, I left my job and I moved all of my stuff into a storage unit. And you know I don't have a car because I live in San Francisco. And I literally just booked a one way to Thailand and told myself I was going to freelance and just figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I pretty much did move. that. It's a bold move. Yeah. So I lasted about three months before I decided I was over it. But um, <laughs> but it basically you know in the freelance world you're you know you're um, selling. And, and doing the work. Um, so it's really challenging when you have to, you know, when, once you move from in-house SEO or employee, I should say, um, to kind of like a business uh, owner or freelancer, there's so many other tasks that you need to do um, outside of SEO that take away from, you know, uh, your SEO kind of like experiences. And um, those other responsibilities kind of like uh, can be a real headache, you know, accounting and um, billing and chasing down payments and legal. Um, and also if you're trying to scale it, like I was trying to scale it with other freelancers. So I would be taking on projects and then I would assign them to people underneath me. So, you know, you have like uh, a lot of things going on. Um, and during that time, that three months, I did 60 paid SEO audits. Um, so I was really out there, you know, working hard, trying to figure some things out. Um, but at the end, you know, trying to, um, maintain like a large number of clients, um, was a lot. And I really missed being able to, um, be an in-house SEO and really like submerge myself in my work and, you know, um, just, just not have to worry about the sales part of it or, you know, um, kind of like needy clients or people that are just gonna, um, they want to see you sweat, you know, they want to see something every week. Um, so that kind of, you know, if you have the right clients, then it can work. But, um, you know, at that time, uh, I had a lot of smaller clients and I wasn't able to get the right mix before I kind of got burnt out. So I think it's, I think it can be good to try if, if you have, um, you know, the right, right thing set up, but it's definitely possible. And I've seen people do it, but in my opinion, I prefer being an in-house SEO. I think the freelance life is, a grind and uh if you don't need to grind like that um you shouldn't you shouldn't because it can work really wear you down and take away from the fun that you can have you know building building cool things and working with other smart people mm-hmm. and I, I bet those smaller clients i bet they can be quite demanding as well <laughs> even though they're yeah. probably not paying you as much as you'd like yeah exactly yeah um in my experience like the smaller the client the more they expect and the harder it is to make an impact. And, you know, being, being in the Bay area, I have, you know, most of the people that I hang out with are either growth marketers or engineers. And they, they come to me all the time about um, projects. They're like, Oh, I want you to look at this project. Like you're really good at SEO, yada, yada. And, um, you know, the, the thing is like, there's, 
two sides of the SEO world, in my opinion. There's there's the high um, high performing like enterprise sites and portfolio sites where you've got a huge amount of revenue going through them. You've got a huge amount of traffic, and you can make small incremental adjustments that make you know a huge impact that pay for your entire retainer as a consultant or maybe even your entire SEO program. Um, you can justify everything quickly at scale like that. Um, and then there's the bottom side of it where you don't have a lot of resources, you're not paid that well, and it's a grind, and the expectations are higher, and the probability of failure is a lot higher because you're trying to build something from the ground up, which takes time. Um, so in my experience, you know, I, I like working at scale. I like working on portfolios of sites or large websites or websites with a huge amount of traffic. Um, because it's a lot more fun, and I think you can be a lot more impactful as SEO on that and those types of projects. Yeah, you want to feel like you're making a big impact, don't you? That's yeah, that's got to be exactly. Yeah, part of it. Like you know, you can um, like one website I was working on um, had you know like a hundred thousand visits a month, and I looked at it, and they were de-indexed from Bing, and it was because Bing bot went to their website, got a five hundred error, and then de-indexed the site, and literally just by resubmitting the sitemap on Bing the traffic and uh, monthly downloads went up by 10%. And so, you know, that was in my first month. So, you know, those are the type of opportunities that you have when you're working at a larger scale. Yeah, even small things. And you, you can seem like, um, I, I suppose you were like very transparent about what you did, but I, I suppose you can seem like some sort of SEO magician. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you make a couple of small tweaks and they're like, and they're like wow. Oh. This guy is incredible versus you know, the opposite where you can do everything possible on a website for SEO and you might not see an increase, you know, at all. And then they just don't believe you. So that's why I like to work on this, the larger end of the spectrum. Cool. I just like to round off kind of our conversation so far by um, asking you whether you've got any tips for um, cross department built like kind of fostering cross department relationships and I was having a look through your Twitter and saw that you retweeted, um, I think it was a tweet by, uh, who was it, Rory Truesdale. And it was something around treating SEO as a culture. Now, yeah, I, I don't know whether that's something that you really believe in. Like I've just picked something off of your Twitter uh, okay. profile page but um i, I think yeah. it probably strikes true with what we've been talking about so um i was just wondering whether you've got any kind of like overarching tips for how seos can work better together and how you can uh kind of get uh interest across a broad range of stakeholders yeah absolutely so um in my experience working with um the other departments is um you know Really figure out who are you know all the department heads or decision makers that you need to work with, and then to try to just put um, your SEO roadmap on the radar, and also have you know have visibility into their roadmap and understand because that's going to let you know what their goals are and their objectives, um, and, and you want to you want your worlds to collide. So you want to um, you want you want to be in their project management system and have visibility into their work stream so you can you know, make your own assessment of if the activities that are going on there need SEO input um, or serve as an SEO opportunity or maybe even SEO disadvantage. So you want to be reviewing all the work streams possible for the departments that you intersect with, which is usually product, um, engineering, um, design, um, you know, and, and data team. 
Um, so, you know, it depends on the, the company, but you know, you also want to understand their, um, meeting, uh, cadence. And if they have weekly standups, you want to get on those because, um, that can be, even if you just, um, you know, contact them and say, Hey, can I just shadow and listen in on this, um, this weekly standup for a couple of weeks just so I can get my bearings and see, you know, what you guys are up to and, um, what you're working on, how you're prioritizing things. And that will get you in their meetings. And, you know, when you're in their meetings, other things might come up. They might, you know, th that, that are SEO related and you might be able to work in new opportunities there. Um, I would also say to um, try to find other people in other departments that are curious and excited or interested in SEO. Um, having an engineer that's interested in SEO or analytics is really um, helpful because, they're going to be poking around and looking at, you know, Google's documentation for developers and they're going to be looking at analytics. So sometimes, you know, you get lucky and you have an engineer or a designer who um, is really excited about your work and they'll prioritize it just because they like it. Um, mm -hmm. So I've had that with, you know, designers too, um, where if you want to build, you know, um, new landing pages for new topics or you want to make some improvements to the navigation or whatever it might be, um, sometimes just because they like the idea, they'll prioritize it over other stuff. Um, so having a good rapport with them and, um, being in communication with them is important. I would also say that you want to have a genuine connection with them. So, um, you know, you want to actually, um, really understand what they care about, um, what excites them, what drives them and, um, try to align to that and just understand them as a person. Um, sometimes people, they um, lose interest in their work and they still hold that role and they really don't want to do a whole lot of other projects that are not necessary. Um, other times people are really passionate about what they do and they want to do anything and everything they can. So you want to try to understand who you're working with, that dynamic, and then base your requests kind of on that. If you know that they're not excited to work on new projects, then you might only want to come to them for the really high impact stuff and take it easy and take it slow if they're dragging their feet on prioritizing your work or getting back to you, try not maybe try not to push them too much in the beginning because that might spoil it and it might you know tarnish that relationship. Um, so you got to understand the people and understand how you fit into their world and you want to ease into it um, you know strategically before coming through and saying we need to fix this, we need to fix that, it's broken. You want to come at it from a very respectable, collaborative kind of approach and maybe say, hey, have you thought about you know, the page speed, instead of saying, hey, the page speed sucks, we need to fix it. You know, there's different ways to communicate with people. So you want to collaborate in a way that's respectful and um, and not from a position of something's wrong, we got to fix it. But, you know, here's an opportunity. What do you think? Mm -hmm. That's some really, really good advice there. I'm, I'm learning so much. And um, that's something that's come across in, um, so I think recorded probably i think this is episode number nine now and i've learned so much about just the the practicalities of working within seo particularly within larger organizations because um like you can learn all about the about seo and best practice and what works and what doesn't work but um it's really opened my eyes like this conversation and all the others as to just how big a part it is um working out how to to sync with other departments and how to talk about what you're doing get pe other people interested it's like it's 
such a huge part of things that um, I don't think we're speaking about enough, really. Um, so it's been really interesting hearing about your experiences there. However, I would like to just kind of change things up a bit now. And um, another thing that I saw on your Twitter profile is that you're a book addict. And oh, yeah. um, I, I then started digging a bit further and I, I saw that you've got um, a Medium profile and I started looking through um, some of the, the articles that you've written there. And I, yeah, I've, I found one all the way back in 2014. So I've yeah. gone like, I've, I've gone all out on my research here, but um, the title was, it was something along the lines of uh, why the first third of a book is always best. Yeah. And that was something where I was just like, oh, um, I, I, I completely understand this. I've got so many books at home where I've like, I've, I've bought the book and I've started reading it and it's like captured my interest. And then I, I just kind of like, I lose interest and maybe i don't know maybe yeah. it, maybe it's just something with me and you but um yeah it yeah i what what is that all about why why have i got yeah. so many unfinished books on my bookcase yep. so yeah i think i think reading a lot of uh variety of like you know non-fiction books and uh and business books um is really helpful for seo because there's so much more to seo than you know just subject matter um you know knowledge um and you know from my experience reading a lot of nonfiction books, like I think, I think I'm probably up to like 300 nonfiction or business books, you know, by now. And, um, and a lot of, most of those are on Goodreads uh, where I log all the books that I've read and the books I'm reading. And, um, so what I found is that, you know, the premise, the author's premise is usually within the first third of the book. So, you know, it, it usually take, it doesn't always take that long. You can sometimes, you know, from the content and the back cover, and maybe the first chapter get the gist of like where the author is going with this, but within the first third book, uh, first third of the book, you can figure out where they're going with that. And sometimes, you know, and from there, you know, you can say, "Do I want to continue reading this book? Is it worth my time?" There's so many books out there that you can read. For me, when I read, I'm usually looking to um, try to try to advance um, or think differently about whatever project I'm working on at the moment. Um, so if I go into the book and I read in the first third and I don't have the idea that that book is going to help me get there or that it's not going to provide enough value. I don't finish reading it because you know, there's no point if you, if it's not going to help you. Mm -hmm. So, but in some cases, is it just that like the essential kind of like tenet, the, the core kind of point has been like made and everything else is just kind of elaborating on that. Is that part yeah, of it as well? Pretty much. Yeah. But different books are structured differently. Some books are structured so well that you can read the outline and then you can scan the, the chapter headers. Um, you know, you can go through and read the chapter headers and you can extract the author's premise and, you know, the scope of the whole book. Other nonfiction books are more meaty and, you know, you have to read through them. Um, they're not, you know, they might not have, they might just have a table of contents, but then, you know, it's just paragraph after paragraph with not a lot of headers. Um, so, but in general, you know, by the first third or the first quarter of the book, you have the idea of what that book's about and if it's going to help you, um, advance and learn what you're trying to get. Like I go into a book, I'm trying to extract information from it. So if I get into the thing and I figure out that there's not really a whole lot worth extracting here, I'm just going to grab the next book on the shelf and, and go after that one. Mm -hmm. And if you had to recommend one fiction and one nonfiction book for, SEOs to read to maybe send them down a path of 
discovery and open them up to a um a, a new way of thinking um yeah. have you got any recommendations there yeah so um for nonfiction, uh, for for fiction i don't really read fiction but for nonfiction, um you know the number one book that i would recommend for seos is probably lean analytics and it's not really an seo book it's an analytics book but i think um the lean analytics book helps you take a step back out of the seo world and look at how SEO plugs into like a business um, analytics for business. And um, there's analytics frameworks in there, um, which the one that I like is the R framework, pirate, the pirates framework. Um, and that one, um, you know, it's like act- acquisition, activation, revenue, uh, retention, and referral. So those are the stages of you know analytics framework, and SEO fits into the first one. So. When you work, you know, for a tech startup, um, you know, that's like an app or, you know, a SaaS product, um, you're going to have users, you're going to have different metrics. So you have different metrics for different stages. And so um, for the acquisition, you know, for SEO, we're usually familiar with those metrics. You have, you know, downloads, installs, conversions, but then you have other metrics after that from your SEO users. You have, you know, um, how many people went from free to paid. What is the lifetime value? What is the churn rate? What is the referral rate? So, um, you know, you have a lot of other metrics um, after SEO. SEO is just the first part of that user journey. So um, understanding the whole analytics framework will help you see how SEO fits into a business and analytics in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, analytics is an area where... I've I've got some understanding of it, but then I see like I follow Simo Ahava and just I'm like, oh wow, there, there's yeah. like so much to this that I'm yeah. I'm not aware of. Um, this yeah, but I, I think that's, that's really important. Technical SEO, and you know, as an SEO, your you know your job is to um, you're spread across analytics, um, you know, development and content and product. Um, and you're trying to go as deep as you need to, to make an impact on each of those areas. Sometimes you need to go really deep. Um, and sometimes you're able to delegate at a high level. And that's one of the great things about, you know, working with smart people and, you know, big companies is that, you know, you can delegate at a much higher level and you can scale and you can, um, you can get a lot more done. Well, okay. So the book is called lean analytics. Okay. I'm going to be looking up that up and, uh, buying that from Amazon very shortly. Yeah, that's a good one. One final thing that I found from my mega stalking session of you. <laughs> I I saw that uh, your your Strava page comes up when when you Google your oh, name. Yeah. And I, I was having a look and yeah, you've been slacking on your runs a bit. I've got to Ooh, say yeah, like eight I think uh, a few months back you were you were at your peak and now yeah, you haven't really been putting in the 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 miles. So, w- what's going on there, Chris? Oh, I've been on the weightlifting uh, weightlifting pattern there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I also I I also have a, a, a private dance instructor. He's he comes to my apartment and he teaches me dance classes. So oh, wow. I've been doing that and I've been doing weightlifting. So I'm changing it up. What what kind of dance? Um, it is called turf dancing. It's like a style of hip hop. Kind of like hip hop choreo. It's like a mash right. of hip hop choreo and break dancing. Right. So were you learning this so you could bust it out at Burning Man? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> uh, 
got to say, I, I hate, I hate those people that yeah, they're, they're too good at dancing and like uh, yeah. they go somewhere and they've got a whole choreography. Ugh. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm definitely not an expert, but I'm. I wanted to try to learn something totally different, like an yeah. instrument, or dance, or something. And uh, it actually is very hard to learn how to dance, so mm-hmm. I'm getting there. Yeah, is it? Is it your first time learning a, a type of, of dance then, or is this like I have, a... I have been failing at learning for about three years now, so, um, but I've been, I was going to, uh, you know, just random hip-hop dance classes around San Francisco, yeah. and, uh, you know, but they're not really designed to take someone from A to Z, um, right. so that's why I hired a personal, I just hired one of the guys who was doing the classes, and, um, you know, so now he comes to my place every Friday for like yeah. three weeks to do it. And so this is a much better, you know, kind of approach for a beginner. Yeah. And do you find that that's a good way of like switching off from, from work for a bit? That's, that's what I find yeah. with, with running particularly is yeah. like, if, if I don't have some sort of exercise in my life, then I'm like, I'm a mess. Basically I need something to be able to hit reset and just kind of like, I don't know. Uh, yeah. It's kind of, I, I kind of see running as like my meditation. So um is is that what what something like dancing does for you yeah you're just like me like you know running and and dancing like um they're just two things that like you know or any physical activity you know just gets you away from uh thinking about work and it's kind of like a mental purge or you know meditation and you know it it, for me like my my day-to-day work schedule i like to wake up early and then i i work pretty hard till lunchtime and then i take lunch and then you know i usually try to do my meetings and like um, the early afternoon and then basically, you know, around three to four, I like to, you know, I like to go for a run and then if I need to do more work in the evening, which I don't like to do, but if I have to, after that run, I can do it. But if I don't take that run, I'm pretty much done for the day. Mm-hmm. So that. Um, with that early start, is it like a, a military early start? Is it, is it that background kicking in where you get up yeah. at like 5am a, 5 a. or something? Yeah, like 6 a.m. And um, the night, so especially Monday morning. So Sunday night, I have all my clothes um, pretty much laid out and, you know, everything set and ready to go. I have my laptop plugged in and charging, cell phone plugged in and charging. Laptop's actually in the backpack right next to my clothes. So I pretty much, you know, wake up, I shave and I go. And that's just so that Monday morning, you know, I have a head start and I can get in early. Mm Mm-hmm. God, you sound like my ideal self. Like I have one of <laughs> one of these Mondays, like maybe once a year. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, is yeah. it is it just like drilled into you from like years of of, of kind of um, working yeah. in the the Air Force Reserves? Well, or? Yeah, I mean that that was something I learned from the military for sure. But you mm-hmm. know, I got to work with pilots every day, and pilots are very you know their training and preparation is like no other. They you know, they, they constantly are preparing and training and they're ready to go. So just from spending a lot of time with them and, you know, seeing that level of professionalism, it carried a lot into my, um, because, you know, I see that they're constantly studying to have all these books and they're flagging and highlighting and they're quizzing themselves and they're going through emergency procedures and they're showing up early. They're thinking through details. Um, they're setting the agenda, you know, they're, they're just like taking charge of the day. And, um, you know, I, that, I think that was really helpful to have that kind of discipline. And to this day, you know, I still go back in these books like Lean Analytics and The Art of SEO 
I look at, um, you know, deep crawl webinars and other content sources, and I'm constantly um, making sure that I'm staying on top of the industry and um, going to those conferences and all that. So uh, I would definitely recommend that to anyone um, listening to, you know, try to stay on top of uh, all the latest changes and constantly quiz yourself because it's easy to get rusty. Uh, uh, thanks for the for the cheeky shout out there as well. Uh, appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so I'd just like to to finish off the this episode by just asking you. I, I think maybe is there any sort of thing that you'd recommend people uh, to try? Maybe it's like a I don't know something that you can buy or just like a different way of thinking to to help you. Um, be more productive and maybe like in your case like how do we how do we get up at 6am and like make yeah. sure that we're prepared on a Sunday is it just like being super disciplined how how can we yeah. how can we help I that? would recommend um, this there's a book called focal point and within that book they have a kind of a matrix and um, basically if you just draw a plus sign on a white paper and then the top left corner is like the urgent and important stuff so, and then on the right, you've got not urgent and important. So you've got, you know, four combinations there. And basically you want to take all the stuff that you've got going on, like your roadmap and the emails and everything that, you know, so I do this every Sunday. So basically I take everything that I think that I need to do and I put it into that matrix and I put, and I figure out what is urgent and important. And I do that first. And then, you know, the next one is what's, you know, you can do the stuff that's urgent, but not important if you have to. Um, or you can do the stuff that's important, but you want to try to always prioritize important stuff over urgent stuff and separate it that way. And then basically, um, you know, you number and you do, so you do like 1A, 1B, 1C, et cetera. And so they go over that in that focal point book by uh, Brian Tracy. He's like a, you know, self-help kind of guy. And uh, so that, that has always been super helpful for me. So I do that matrix uh, every Sunday and then I map that to like a timeline and I block off my time and I say, here's what I'm going to do, you know, um, 9 a.m. to 10, 10 to 11, 11 to 12. And then, um, you know, you're mapping your priorities and that, that way you can stay focused on the important, uh, the important stuff rather than the stuff that, you know, pops up in your email and just kind of derails your whole day. Mm -hmm. That sounds like such, such a good idea. I think I have to try that. What I tend to do is just kind of, it's a much less sophisticated version of that, of just like listing off all the stuff that I, I can possibly think that I need to do and then just kind of ordering it in terms of like priority. But I, I yeah. think that making it into a matrix and separating out into urgency and actual importance as well, I think that's a really yep. good idea. Um, what was the name of that book again? That one's called focal point. Focal, focal point. Yeah. Cool. And, um, you know, if you can, if there's stuff, that top left corner is usually the most important because it's urgent and important. Um, and if you're able to delegate too, then you just, you know, that's how you just crush your to-do list is you just try to delegate as much as possible. Mm -hmm. that, that sounds like great advice. Um, just before we go, is there anything that you'd like to shamelessly plug um, whether it's uh, something that you're that you've got going on, or um, some something you want to give a shout out to, um, I'll, I'll leave it to you for your shameless plug. Um, I don't have a shameless plug. I am, uh, you know, I'm just a pure SEO. So um, this is what everyone's saying. Like, I'm giving people an opportunity to like they can promote whatever they want. Like, I, 
yep. you don't even have to be connected with it. Just like, right. come on, like, right. <laughs> stop being a good technical SEO. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, just, um, you know, deep, deep crawl in general. Right answer. Is, yeah, I would recommend the deep crawl webinars. Um, I've been listening to them and they are just full, full of um, awesome information from very smart people. Um, I'd also recommend, you know, a lot of the SEO conferences, um, especially like, you know, if the deep crawl team is there, um, but, you know, you can mingle and learn with other SEOs. Um, but I would definitely, um, definitely recommend all the deep crawl webinars and deep crawl in general. Um, and to also just go to the SEO conferences and, um, you know, mingle with other SEOs because that's how we all learn. And my favorite and most exciting part of being SEO is going to those conferences and going out and grabbing drinks with other smart SEOs and, um, SEO products, um, and just learning from each other and, um, you know, continuing to grow. Yeah. I, I thoroughly attest to, um, attending SEO conferences and like, um, it, it's, it's so good from a, a networking perspective, but yeah. yeah, I also want to point out that I at no point prompted Chris to, to mention deep crawl there. He's done that completely of his own accord. So I just want to make that known, but, um, yeah, so I think we're going to end things there. Um, thank you so much, Chris, for for sparing some time to speak with us. Um, it's been really insightful hearing about all of your different experiences, but also the way that you go about attacking various um, challenges and your to-dos, like and the, the books as well, um, super useful as well. I'm going to be buying those um, as soon as we get off this call. So thank you very much for, for joining us. Thank you so much, Sam. It was great talking with you. Thanks a lot. A massive thank you to Chris for being such a great guest on this episode. If you want to hear more from him, you can find him on Twitter at csamphilippo01. If you want to hear more from myself, I'm at Sam underscore Marsden on Twitter. And if you want to share our humble podcast with the world, make sure that you add the hashtag open underscore dialogue. Before you go, I would like to let you know that this podcast has been made possible by my employer, Deepcrawl. So if you're interested in improving the technical health and organic performance of the websites that you manage, make sure that you check us out, head on over to deepcrawl.com and have a look at how we can help. We've even got a two-week trial for you to give us a go with. I'd also like to give a shout out to BMO Studios based in Hackney Central. They make Open Dialogue sound as great as it does. If you're interested in finding a written recap of this podcast, you can head on over to the Deepcrawl blog by visiting deepcrawl.com forward slash podcast. And you'll also be able to sign up to our mailing list as well. So thank you again for listening. And I hope you join us again soon.